0: to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime. I'm your host, Frank Zafiro, and we have a feature episode with Alano Waiwale, and I sure hope I got that right. (laughs) It's Hawaiian, so uh, I'm struggling a little bit. Uh, Alano is a cool guy and uh, has an interesting story, a little different path than uh, uh, some of the other mystery writers that we've talked to on the show. So we'll get to that in just a few moments. But uh, first, I want to tell you that uh, Wrong Place to Right Crime is sponsored by Down and Out Books. And here to talk about what's coming out soon is chief editor and publisher, Eric Campbell.
1: Yo, Frank, Eric Campbell, Down and Out Books. For the month of love, we've got nine killer books being published. Here's just a sampling of what's on that list. Angel Louis Colon has his first full-length novel, Hell Chose Me, coming out. And boy, is it a doozy. Angel asks, how far can one man fall into his own selfishness, despair, and anger? Chris Holm calls it a damned fine read. In Lono Vavaoli's Lizzie's Lullaby, we discover some things have changed in the seven years since Wally and Leon first met. Wally has a daughter now. Leon is fresh out of prison. But the kidnapping of the daughter reveals the most important thing that hasn't changed at all. Leon is still the last person in the world you want on your trail if you still as best friends only child. These books are available for pre-order now. You can find out more at downandoutbooks.com. And Frank, as always, thanks so much for your support and asking me to come on the show.
0: Thanks, Eric. I'll tell you folks something I, I say just about every month. But uh, only because it's true. Uh, being with Down Books is uh, pretty awesome. And the sheer number of great writers that they have that uh, are, are under that banner uh, is very humbling uh, to be part of. Check out what they got, downoutbooks.com, and uh, you can get some of that dark, gritty goodness. All right, well, let's turn to our feature interview for this month, and that is with Alana Waiwale. As I mentioned in the intro, Lano's a pretty interesting guy. Uh, He's got a series starring a guy named Wiley that uh, is a character who's traveled a pretty dark path. His newest two releases are related to that series, uh, Leon's Legacy and then Lizzie's Lullaby. Both will be out in February, and uh, we caught up with Lano to talk to him about this series set just up the road for me in Portland, Oregon welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Pleasure to be invited.
0: So your your series uh, starring Wiley is available from down out books uh, up to and including the more most recent release Leon's Legacy but you've got another installment in that series coming out here in February. Correct. So maybe you could uh, for readers that aren't familiar with with uh, Wiley and that series you could kind of walk us through who, who the character is and what
2: uh, what some of the different books are. Well Wiley is uh, sort of a prototypical, behind-the-eight-ball kind of a character. He started out as a strange father who hadn't spoken to his daughter for a year because of a, a relationship between his daughter and his best friend, which he didn't approve of, and then she gets murdered. And the first book, Wiley's Lament, is about him trying to deal with that situation, especially trying to... Bring retribution to the person responsible for the murder. So the series kind of goes from there. That is worked out, actually, with the help of the friend that he was mad at. And they have a series of other adventures, all centered around Portland, Portland, Oregon. And we have uh, eventually, after the first three, got to Leon's Legacy, which is the name of the friend. And he, that book is a prequel to the first three books. And ah. it's set, for, set in Portland during the 1980s. And it's about when they met as high school students and what happened that eventful year. And then a new book coming out in February is the same characters seven years later, seven years after high school.
0: Are you currently living in the Portland area? I am. But that's not where you've always been from. I mean, you've, according to your bio, you've bounced all around the West Coast. Maybe, what are some of the places that you've lived?
2: I've lived everywhere pretty much on the West Coast from Fresno on the South End to the Canadian border on the... North End. I did that my entire childhood until I started my senior year of high school and then we moved to Portland which is the first time we'd stopped in Oregon and I've been around Oregon basically ever since except for two years living in Hawaii back in 2003.
0: Where uh, near the Canadian border or did you live?
2: A little place called well farm a little outside a place called Maple Falls which is pretty close to the Sumas border crossing so it was this just about as far north as you can get, which wow. is uh, where where I discovered I was going to be a writer. Oh <laughs> yeah, Will <laughs> Canadian influence, do it. <laughs> no, <laughs> I just was in the third grade, and I had a teacher who wrote on my report card, "Rono is going to be a writer," and I don't know exactly what she was basing that on in the third grade, but I basically took her word for it. I've had an elevated, well, someone would say inflated opinion of my own writing ever since.
0: <laughs> uh what uh that Ma- maple falls you said was the name of the, the town yeah yeah what what is the largest town near
2: that i mean i think it's not very large this is all north of bellingham
0: ah okay so up near blaine and that whole area yeah right okay right. okay now you said you spent a couple of years in hawaii you are a half hawaiian right
2: correct yeah
0: and you've got a I very hawaiian of, name
2: <laughs> i do i i have as hawaiian a name as you can get uh-huh. And, um, but I didn't have the chance to live with my Hawaiian father, unfortunately, since he broke up with my mother shortly after I was born. So I was kind of estranged from the Hawaiian part, except for my name. And I lived on the west coast, as I said, instead of Hawaii, and we finally moved over there just so we could find out what living there was like.
0: What was it like?
2: Well, it was kind of a odd. It was kind of an odd situation. You know, I was uh, pretty old by this time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found out, you know, I never really quite fit in anywhere on the west coast because I wasn't quite like most people I lived with. But when I went over there, I didn't quite fit in either because I wasn't a local. They have a distinction between local and not local that kind of supersedes ethnicity. Uh-huh. So I was Hawaiian, which was cool, but uh-huh. I wasn't a local Hawaiian and so I was kind of out of the loop over there just like I was here, uh-huh. which is kind of actually good. Interesting uh, experience. One thing that came out of that was a, the only book I have published that was not part of the Wiley series, and I could never have written it without living over there first. It's, it's set in Hawaii on the big island called Dark Paradise, and it's wow. one of the books that's been reissued by Down and Out. Mm-hmm. And it is kind of about the underside of life in paradise, and that's the main thing I got out of living over there, just like running into a wall to feel what it was like if you're not on the top of the totem pole over in Hawaii. It's nothing like the postcards. And it turned out that I felt really compelled to write that book, and I still think it's the most important book. If any books of mine are important, (laughs) that one probably is the most.
0: So you noticed a cultural difference between the cities that you lived in on the west coast and and when you lived in Hawaii?
2: No, definitely. I mean, none of the cities I lived in on the west coast were Hawaiian oriented. I was Mm -hmm. kind of the oddball most places i was a you know minority of one
0: mm-hmm.
2: and actually that taught me something pretty important that i I came to the conclusion that eventually that everybody is a minority of one, and it 's best to think of them that way and much easier to figure out how to relate to everybody uh, but also I was a non threatening minor minority somehow everybody felt comfortable with Mm -hmm. a Hawaiian compared to like say some other kinds of minorities that seem threatening to people historically so it was kind of a smooth transition even if I was a little bit the new kid all the time I went to something like 15 schools while I was doing this and I from you know elementary school through high school and so wow that that was the hardest thing was being new all the time not Mm -hmm. being Hawaiian
0: yeah. My wife experienced that too. She went to, uh, to a number, not 15, but she went to a number of different schools. Um, what, what were some of the things that you did to try to fit in? Like, did you have a, did you figure out the best way to go about being the new kid?
2: Yeah, I, I think I mastered it. As no a matter of <laughs> fact, uh, it's kind of interesting. I had several siblings, most of them half, half siblings, but none of them were as good at doing this as I was. Number one, I was very extroverted and User friendly, I think you could say. User <laughs> yeah, so friendly. Uh, I was, you know, very tuned into other people, and unfortunately, my skills were superficial. So I, c- I could be an acquaintance really easily. But at the end result of everything, I don't feel like I had very many actual friends. But it, was, it takes a little bit longer to really create a friendship mm-hmm. compared to an acquaintanceship. So mm-hmm. it was a little bit frustrating. But I, I still have the ability to meet people easily but I, I still don't have very many friends so I mean I don't I didn't really learn that skill that's
0: pretty profound if you think about it I mean <laughs> I know <laughs> uh, that's uh, me profound <laughs> well I like the idea of dark paradise it's a great title uh and, and that, yeah I like uh, that title actually you know, people do have this image of Hawaiians and of Hawaii that uh, is, is pretty pristine and pretty uh, idealized. So uh, it'd sounds that'd be, that'd be interesting to read it where, how that's
2: different. Yeah, you know, actually, I had the same image. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was kind of jarring to find out that there was another side to this photograph. And it's like, uh, actually, it's nothing earth-shaking. I mean, it's the same where, I mean, it happens... The same problems exist in lots of places. The only problem is there you think you're in paradise, so it doesn't mm-hmm. seem to fit. And mm-hmm. how, especially, how... If you, especially, excuse me, especially if you're Hawaiian. That was the irony mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. The Hawaiians suffer the most acutely from all these problems of anybody that lives there. Well, like alcoholism, mm-hmm. child abuse, mm-hmm. um, violence, mm-hmm. uh, crime, drug abuse. Did I already mm-hmm. say that? um they uh, it's
0: important enough to say twice
2: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> all, the, all the societal problems that you know people experience anywhere they're all experienced more acutely by the hawaiians in the islands than any other group because they're having to be at the bottom of the whole totem pole even though they're the natives so or maybe because they're the natives um depends on how you look at that but anyway it was a little jarring for sure and um worth pointing out i thought that's the reason why I'm like mm-hmm. kind of happy with the book. Mm-hmm. It may turn out to be on the big screen as people working on it.
0: Is there? Is it in the works?
2: Well, it's been it's been under option for a long time by several different people, so it's very unlikely that we're ever going to see it. But I, I like thinking about it that it could actually happen.
0: Ah, having your book optioned is a lot closer to being a movie than not having it optioned.
2: Well, true, but just barely in my case. But
0: <laughs> so in in Hawaii is. Uh, uh, is it a fairly segregated uh, society uh, over there? I mean,
2: well, it's a kind of an interesting situation. It, Hawaii has the reputation of being like a melting pot, the, the, the quintessential melting pot almost. But that reputation is both true and false. It's like uh, on the surface, these groups get along together pretty well, and so they have the appearance of being fairly mixed fairly well. But if it's interesting, I I taught in a school part of the time I was over there, which was located in Hilo, uh, halfway up a hill and above that hill Japanese population lived and they attended that school and below that hill at the bottom there was a Hawaiian homeland settlement where people who are mostly Hawaiian ethnicity have a chance to own property and they lived on the bottom of the hill and the school is right in the middle. And never the twain shall meet, in a way. It was really a weird situation. And actually, neither group was comfortable with me. I wasn't Japanese, and I wasn't a local Hawaiian. And they all looked at me like, who in the hell is this guy? I, I never had that experience before, because I was extremely user-friendly in school, too. Mm-hmm. I had the same skills that I had as a kid working with students. And I couldn't believe it. I ran of all these students that I couldn't get to warm up to me immediately like normal. It was kind of funny. It's kind of segregated in a way that you wouldn't expect from looking at it from the outside.
0: I guess that is the additional dynamic over there that we don't necessarily have so much in the continental U.S. and you've got the white and Hawaiian relationship but then you've also got the Japanese-Hawaiian relationship which isn't exactly cozy.
2: In Hawaii, you will never find people who think all Asians are the same. No, no. They They definitely know the difference between different Asian groups in Hawaii.
0: Yeah, that's about Yeah, it's like saying all white people are the same. There's, there's I know very <laughs> much. Is he Asian? Yeah, I mean. is he Asian? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you, you kind of touched on it, but uh, you were uh, a a high school teacher, yeah. Uh, are you retired now?
2: I am, I'm retired from everything except writing, and unfortunately, <laughs> I'm almost almost retired from that. I don't work as hard as I used to, do, so it's kind of. You you kind of blow my mind just looking at all the stuff you keep pouring out, and I think, holy smokes, that's what a real writer does. But
0: <laughs> a real I'm writer, sorry. a real I'm writer sort of, gets, uh, gets the gets <laughs> the kind of blurbs that you've got on your website, man. I mean, you've got, you've got Lee Child and uh, you know Library Journal and uh, Publishers right. Weekly. You've got some serious reviews there.
2: I've got Lee Child because he's the nicest, one of the nicest guys in the world, and. Uh, <laughs> that's the main explanation
0: for that all right well we will get back to our conversation with lano in just a few moments Uh, but first this is the time of the show where i like to make a few book recommendations from the experts and by experts i mean a variety of people such as bookstore owners and employees particularly those that work at the independent bookstores or mystery focused bookstores uh, as well as super readers Uh, editors, and other authors. This month, the recommendations are going to come from last month's feature author, Dana King, and from Jim Thompson, an author and editor who's going to talk about the first in a a series of critiques about good novels with one little problem. Take it away, guys. (laughs) I'm Dana King, author of the Penns River series and the Nick Forte series of P.I. novels. I'd like to recommend The Fairfax Incident by Terrence McCauley. It's a great historical piece of fiction. It will make you think you're watching a black-and-white film from back during the Depression.
3: Hi, um, I'm Jim Thompson. I make my living as an editor, and I also write short stories. Each of these four books I'm going to talk about have uh, a common thread or or a common problem, which is uh, third acts that don't entirely work, at least in my opinion. So the first one I want to talk about is uh, a fairly new thriller called No Exit by Taylor Adams. The story is about a college-age girl who gets trapped at a rest stop during a snowstorm in the mountains in the American West, um, with four strangers, and she goes out into the parking lot and sees a child in the cage of a back of in the back of a vehicle of belonging to one of the people but she doesn't know who it is she doesn't know what she's going to do about it there's hours till any possible rescue so it's a wonderful setup and uh, it's it's pretty lean and tight and very suspenseful and very nerve-wracking but I had a hard time believing it because the uh, characters made choices that seemed to fit the plot's needs more than their own they didn't this is something I'm going to say a lot in reviews. They The characters do not seem to follow their established logic. For one thing, here's a college girl driving a long drive, and she doesn't think to bring a cell phone charger cord, which I think most kids of that age would uh, think to grab before they grabbed a pair of pants. So um, I enjoyed No Exit. I'm not sure I believe a word of it, which is kind of a weird juxtaposition. So I can't quite not recommend it, and yet I can't quite recommend it either. I would just say maybe pick it up, give it a look, and if it pulls you in, great. If not, uh, you've been warned.
0: All right. Thank you, Dana, and thank you, Jim. A good recommendation there from Dana. and. I think if you listen closely to Jim's uh, review as well, you'll see that uh, he did like the book and uh, just pointed out the, the one issue with it. Uh, your mileage may vary. Now let's get back to our interview with Lono Waiwale. What, what did you teach when you were, before your time? I taught
2: English and social studies, history and economics and government mostly. And at different times, PE, and I was a basketball coach and Mm -hmm. coach other things but more basketball than anything and that was a big part of my life and uh, enjoyed it thoroughly before i was a teacher i was a journalist and i I trained to be a teacher then i ended up working in journalism because i worked my way through school being a journalist so i ended up Ah. working in that and then i finally got out of that and started teaching mostly because being an editor was like boring too isolated for somebody like me i need social contact a lot more than editors have so I finally got back into teaching, and then I got a, you know, a new lease on life because there's nothing more interactive than working with kids every day. Mm-hmm. And that, I love that until I finally retired not too long ago. What grades no, did I you teach? Do uh, high school, basically. Yeah. yeah.
0: My wife teaches middle
2: school language arts and Holy social Holy smokes, studies. man. I, I tried that two years, including <laughs> that year in Hawaii I was just talking about. That was part of the problem. I couldn't teach middle school again if I got paid a million dollars.
0: Well, they're not paying her a million dollars, I can assure you. I, can, I know. I believe it. <laughs> I but uh, it, it. it takes a certain breed of cat, I'm convinced. Uh, it sure does. It, really it. does. it
2: really does. I, uh, I, I have my hat off to anybody who does it successfully. It's, it's just a, a strange situation in a kid's life. Mm. And it's hard to find the handle for, at least I had a hard time with it to the point that I would never do it again. High school was the exact opposite for me. You enjoyed
0: that? Thoroughly.
2: In high school, I could connect with almost any student As on some fundamental level, they would like to complete the experience successfully. In other words, they would like to get out. Now, people that don't want to go through the program just drop out so you don't don't get to work with them. But the ones who are there, they're trying to get the degree at the end. So I have a connection. I could be the person that's trying to help them do that. Mm -hmm. In middle school, that connection doesn't exist because it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter what they do. They're Mm -hmm. going to high school regardless. Mm -hmm. So the smarter ones know that, so they say, well, well, whatever. (laughs)
0: They all I'm know.
2: Not not doing, I am <laughs> not, not, yeah, <laughs> not planning on doing anything. I don't care what you're yeah. up to. So yeah. I found it very difficult to find a handle for that to deal with that. Although other people do, and that's why I have my hat off to the ones who <laughs> have succeeded with that. I gave up on that idea and said, I'll work with the other ones. I'm more was more used to.
0: Well, we should all it, play to our strengths, right?
2: Yeah, I thought so. In that case, especially.
0: Um, turning back to uh to Wiley for a minute the character uh, of Wiley you, you mentioned in Wiley's lament that his his estranged daughter dies yeah that's a precipitating event is, is it that he's dealing with this unresolved uh you know I never got the opportunity and I never will get the opportunity now to make up with my daughter is that a is that a big part of that book
2: very much and uh coincidentally before I forget to mention it that character, the daughter, is the Lizzie in Lizzie's l- l- uh, lullaby. Oh. So this the prequel is basically based on her, but okay. at, at the age of seven instead of she's eighteen when she dies. So moving ahead, the thing about the daughter father situation is what attracted me to this se- the story in the first place. It Started with a situation I ran into while I was teaching high school. It's based okay. on an event that actually occurred in Portland. Uh, one day in the morning news, I heard about a stripper who was found in a, dead in a dumpster behind a strip club in North Portland. And, I I mean, that was a, a terrible news flash as far as I was concerned. It was bothering me when I got to school that morning. I started asking my classes what they thought about that. And it flabbergasted me that the general response was, well, that's what happens. That's the price you pay. Really, decisions have consequences. I'm going. Wait, whoa, slow down. Are you telling me that being a stripper warrants the death penalty? I mean, is a capital crime? Uh, is that the, what you're trying to tell me? And they wouldn't exactly say that, but their reaction was, "Well, that's why you don't want to be a stripper." I mean, bad things happen. And I knew, I recognize that it's probably not a good thing to be a stripper, and it could be not the best thing. But I didn't think that penalty was appropriate so the thing that struck me was what would it feel like to be the father of the girl found in the dumpster and I -hmm. couldn't get away from that because I am a father of a daughter and I was thinking that would be that would be devastating Mm -hmm. to try to explain yourself how your daughter ended up in that situation and so that's what's Wiley's dilemma he literally (laughs) feels responsible for the fact that she gets murdered and it's because she was working in the sex industry and got murdered by a client, which is a similar situation to what happened to the stripper at the back of the strip club. So I, it's very much what you were asking. It's all about how he tried to deal with that situation and had to deal with his own life at the same time because his life was off the rails the whole time that he was estranged from his daughter. He's also estranged from his wife and was living a totally bizarre life, really, as trying to be a professional poker player and sometimes ripped off drug dealers when he wasn't really winning at poker well enough. (laughs) The the
0: odds of that are considerably worse than uh, hitting an inside straight, I'd say.
2: Actually, his philosophy about that is he said it was easier than you would imagine. Really? Drug dealers uh, care about their life a lot more than their money because money was pretty easy to come by. Yeah, that's a good point. So he didn't have that much trouble getting the drugs. He just had to remember not to do it around Portland. So he went to Seattle to do it, which is how I became familiar with the Seattle Mystery Bookstore, which I saw was the subject of one of your podcasts earlier. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. The Wild Leasel opens actually in Seattle on First Avenue, right up the street from the store, actually. They kind of adopted the book at the, that store and store. That's why I've always loved that store and yeah. why I miss
0: it so much now. Yeah, that was a yeah. that was a real bummer. I, uh, the people yeah. at that store were so cool.
2: They are, yeah.
0: Well, they still are cool people, but they were, yeah, they're not, right? at that, not at that store anymore. <laughs> they're not, that's at not that where, location, that's right. That's not where they're being cool. They're being cool elsewhere. But uh, yeah, I know. From, right. from Bill, the guy that started it, to JB yeah, who bought it right. from him, and, and then right. Fran, who worked there for, like, 17 years or some exactly. crazy thing. Right. Um, Fran sometimes does uh, book reviews for, for the podcast. So I, I stay oh, in touch cool. with her. But uh, uh, yeah, it, that's not uncommon. They're, they're, uh, there's a lot of them closing. Uh, uh, yeah, I know.
2: In fact, the new book is dedicated to Helen Simpson, who had a bookstore in St. Louis that closed not too long ago. Uh, big, wow. sweet books. and uh, Good name. Yeah, I know. It's a great story, too, but it's not here anymore.
0: Going back to Wiley for a second, uh, you said he was estranged from his daughter at the beginning of the series and before she dies. Uh, At what age did he become estranged?
2: Uh, It actually starts with an estrangement from his wife, which actually started before she was his wife. it's Part of the story that is uh, covered in early parts of the series is that the mother of his daughter it never should have been, should have been the mother he loved somebody else in his class and that person actually loved leon his friend instead and so it was not you know it was a losing situation we find out in lizzie's lullaby that she was an accident between the two people who would have rather not had that accident except that they loved the results so much that they tried to stay together around that for until about the time the Lizzie's Lullaby takes place when she's about seven years old. They split up, mm-hmm. and that, that, that's starting during the book. Mm-hmm. But the result of that, by the time Wiley's Lament is set, she's about eighteen, and they had uh, intervening years where you no, know, like probably, it's not written about in either any books. But it, we skipped over that part. But it's it's like you would imagine, probably for most people who had the experience of their parents splitting up when they were like seven years old. It's going to be a problematic situation for the kid. Sure. And what happened to him, she was she apparently dealt with that, but by the time she was 18 or 17, Leon, the best friend, she's someone she considered her uncle, really, all the her life. She started, apparently, fell in love with him. They fell in love with each other, and that freaked Wiley out totally. So he was already estranged from his family, but then he became estranged from his daughter specifically, and Leon. And so when that book starts, they are totally... Out of touch with each other. In fact, he thinks that he's Leon's responsible for the murder of his daughter. So at the beginning of the book, he's looking for him as a culprit mm-hmm. in this whole thing, and that uh, works its way through. Uh, uh, he turned out not to be held responsible, and they together they find out who it really was. But they uh, that estrangement is uh, after some period of time. I think it's pretty clear in the book coming out in February, Lullaby, that there's a strong connection between Lizzie and Wiley, but i think it it got battered quite a bit in the years between seven years old and maybe 16 17 typical teenager situation probably (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. anyway
0: yet there's something special uh you know about a father-daughter relationship there's a yeah it's it's unique it's different than a mother-daughter or father-son relationship
2: yeah i think so definitely and i it's compelling i'm a sucker for for watching dramatizations of that dynamic you know Films and other books, for example, it's like, and so I was really drawn to trying to deal with it. Like I mentioned earlier, I have a daughter, so and I'm a father, so it's like we have that father-daughter thing. It was tempestuous at times, so we, including periods of estrangement. So it's like I kind of relate to the whole situation, and I could kind of empathize with somebody like Wally. But Wally's situation is worse because, like you mentioned a minute ago, he didn't actually get to resolve it. And so mm-hmm. now he has this, even after the wreak retribution for that whole situation that doesn't really resolve his problem, now he feels the rest of the series, he carries that guilt around it. He, he lost that connection permanently, and uh, something they he's still dealing with. If he wrote any more books, it would be still there.
0: Yeah, some things just can't
2: be undone, no matter... Exactly, right. How, and that's kind of one of the mm-hmm. themes of the whole series. Mm-hmm. Some things can't be undone. Pretty good.
0: You can use it as a tagline if you want. <laughs>
2: yeah, thanks. All
0: right. Good. <laughs> Frank says some things can't be undone. Like this book. <laughs> so um, uh, are, are there no more Wiley books coming then? Or is, that well, have, is that part of it now? I,
2: I have one that's like 35,000 words. It's called Wiley's Return. So after all this, he could do this one I've been writing off and on. But I don't I, – I've sort of – feeling like that's not gonna be the next book. I, I don't think that's mm-hmm. actually gonna happen. It's it's pretty good, but um, I don't think he nearly anybody needs his return that badly. I'm really more interested in a new series mm-hmm. and some new characters. And I think that so if I am maybe that's the main thing. I, I'm the main person I've been writing for all this time, so mm-hmm. I'm definitely a fan. So I read all my I read all my books <laughs> and, and, uh,
0: i'd write reviews if i could
2: <laughs> <laughs> Right. and so i think i as a fan of the books i think i i'm more interested in this a new character some new situations and so i don't think wiley is coming back after this book like i'm pretty I, i'm pretty sure although the only problem is i have these 35,000 words, words I keep thinking what the heck that's almost a book but i can't just throw that aside but i probably am going to though. So if I had to call well, it right now, no, I think I'm done with why these series.
0: Well, at least as long as you keep it on the cloud, it's always there if you decide to Oh, yeah, to it's enjoy. there.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I can always change my mind. You mentioned Lee Child a little while ago. Uh, uh-huh.
1: he,
2: he used to say all the time that uh, he, know, he would never turn Jack Reacher over to Hollywood. Never. Not on my life. Never. And I turned out that never is not that long. Because <laughs> not only did Jack Reacher show up in Hollywood, he turned out to be played by Tom Cruise, which uh, is like the totally physical opposite uh, of Jack Reacher. So um, I decided that uh, you know forever, never there are terms that really don't have much much value. And incidentally, his rationale for that actually made sense. And I, and I actually Tom Cruise was very effective in that movie or those movies just because of his screen presence he's not mm-hmm. physically right but his screen mm-hmm. presence is right and that's what that's what Lee child said is his rationale yeah. it's, it's more he about magnetism the, yeah yeah yes he has the, he said he's the only one that could do it but i don't know about that but anyway he, do you
0: have a uh, a friendship with lee child or are you from well it's more friends, it's more
2: of a, an acquaintanceship well, it's... <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> he is he he's very friendly. Number one, I mean, it's one of the things that I didn't expect that I found out when I got into this. Where I, when I was published, I went to a, I met him at a voucher con, actually. I didn't meet him in isolation. There's a whole bunch of people there who are what they call Reacher creatures. They're like his little fan club that goes around to all these conventions and tries to <laughs> to talk to him and everything. So I I got I was sort of in that crowd. Like just I, hanging on, or yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, Reacher creature yeah, too. Yeah, right. And I, it's like, no, I I was familiar with Jack Reacher, and hey, well, this is Lee Child. He's very gracious in person, and everything. But it turned out that his uh, publicity person. Maggie Griffin, who is a, who was a principal in a, another great store that's not there anymore, Partners in Crime in New York. She kind of was an early booster of my books, and she she talked him into taking a look at wow. the second one to see if he would write a blur for it, mm-hmm. which is you know, kindness in space. So then he says right. apparently no never uh, when somebody asked him that. So I mean, <laughs> and but so he wrote what well, he wrote was very kind. I mean, it was actually very well written. Uh, a little um, blurb, I, I really appreciate it. I, I assume he, he actually believes it, but either way, it was very nice. And he, he came to Portland one time a while back, and I was there just sitting there watching, and Maggie was there too, and they said, whoa, that's Lono. And they called me up and took a picture with him. And oh, that's awesome. It turned out to be on a, some, his web page or something later. So, I mean, that's what I mean. He's, pretty, he's a very friendly, kind, and generous guy.
0: Yeah, I don't. I think that's more the norm than the uh, than the exception among us. It others.
2: is. That's what I found out. I mean, it's like amazing. I've only met one guy who was exactly the opposite of that. Really, most everybody's been very supportive mm-hmm. and uh, generous, and more so than they would need to be. You know, they they just they just are.
0: Yeah, I I once read in a book that a guy named Gary Provost wrote. It was one of those How to Be a Writer books called Make Every Word Count. But I really liked it because he talked about the relationship and the spiritual part of being a writer. And one of the things he said was getting a couple of friends who are writers because sometimes another writer will understand what the rest of the world will not. And and I think that's true. I think we all understand, you know, what's going on and how it feels and what it's like to be a writer. And and so that makes us more likely to be supportive of, of each other. Uh, and that's been my experience. I've I, the the assholes are they stand out so much because there's so few of them.
2: Exactly, I agree that 100. percent That's been my experience too. That was a bonus I I hadn't really anticipated. I was thinking that I was sort of alone. Writing sort of got the reputation of being a solitary exercise, mm-hmm. and so by the time I wrote this first book and it ended up getting published, I I was thinking of it in terms of just a solitary experience and then i immediately ran into all these other writers who were quite open and forthcoming and supportive and there's a whole environment that you can be part of
0: it's a tribe yeah,
2: exactly (laughs) and it's really i mean it's cool Uh, i'm I'm looking forward to meeting you actually i think we're both going to be at left coast oh that's uh, great yeah
0: yeah i'll I'll be there
2: yeah Yeah.
0: that'll be awesome Uh, good we'll lift the glass You can teach me some, all the Hawaiian curse
2: words. (laughs) I only know about 10 Hawaiian words.
0: Are any of them curse words?
2: Nope. I don't curse at all. In fact, uh, in any language except my characters do. Oh, okay. (laughs) All the people who know know me can, I can't believe you wrote this. All these people talk like this. And I said, well, that's because you don't hang out with these people. That's the way they talk.
0: Uh, Yeah, it is kind of funny how people will think... Sometimes they'll over identify a character with the person that wrote it and not understand <laughs> it's, the, it's the song, not the singer, baby, you know?
2: Yeah. I mean. in, in a way, Wiley is kind of an, an alter ego. It's, of course. it's, it's, it's yeah. I mean, I, I had a therapist once who said, you know, you ought to put more energy into this fictional character and, not, and quit trying to live that life. Just put that on paper and then try to live a regular, normal life. <laughs> and you would be much happier. So that's what I've been trying to do, actually. I think it's worked out fairly well, but it's always a work in progress on both ends. So it's, right. It's, uh, it was a good idea. I let let Wiley take all the hard knocks. Well, I tried to be uh-huh. a professional poker player just like him.
0: Oh, yeah? How'd that go? And,
2: well, it went all right, except that uh, it would have gone better if I was a little bit better at it. <laughs> 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 I... I could survive. Well, I did survive, but I didn't flourish, let's put it that way. Oh, I see. I see. One of my problems when I tried to do this, I didn't go to Vegas. I stayed here because I had a family. I had the daughter and the son that I was just talking about. It wasn't really the right place to try to make a living. It was more sort of low-level survival. Mm -hmm. I should have been doing it in Vegas, but I wasn't willing to go and so eventually i just stopped trying to do it and went back into teaching
0: well then you took your therapist's advice it sounds like (laughs) i did i did yeah and i
2: don't regret that decision
0: either Mm -hmm. uh so the new book is out in february yep and it is called lizzie's
2: lullaby
0: lullaby lizzie's lullaby well uh lono it's been a a great to meet you in person and i look forward to hooking up with you up at uh left coast crime in vancouver Sounds great. Thanks for coming on the show.
2: You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure.
0: Well, there you go, folks. Uh, you know a whole lot more about Lano than you, you did before you tuned in, I'm sure. Uh, very interesting guy. And as you could see, he, he took a little different path to uh, becoming a, a mystery author. Uh, looking forward to getting into the Wiley series and, and following That path. I I dig the dark stories and the tortured characters. Uh, You don't have to read any further than my Stefan Kopriva mysteries to to see that, among others. Uh, So I'm going to check out uh, Lano's stuff, and I hope you do too. Uh, Next month, our future episode will be an interview with Terrence McCauley. Terrence is the author of The Fairfax Incident, uh, Sympathy for the Devil. And he's uh, also branched into Westerns. Anyway, uh, you can hear more from him next month. But until then, uh, let's, let's see what he had to say when we caught up to ask him some flash questions. Terrence McCauley, what city do you live in now? New York City. Who's your favorite writer? Wow. It's Eric Bietner. Good choice. Favorite movie? Favorite movie of all time is Miller's Crossing. Favorite TV show? The Shield. Uh, Do you have a nickname? No, I do not. Uh, Some people call me Terry in this industry and I'm fine with it. I'm going to start calling you (laughs) T-Mac.
3: That's fine too.
0: (laughs) What are you working on right now?
3: The next book in the uh, Aaron Mackey series.
0: What hobby do you have that has nothing to do with writing?
3: I love watching classic films,
0: and uh, my other one that's close to it is smoking cigars. Your favorite sport? Soccer. Favorite musician? Is right now Lady Gaga. Five-second advice to aspiring writers? Just finish the work. Where would you like to go that you've never been? London. What's your favorite quote? I think, therefore I am. All right. Well, there it is, folks. Uh, Everything you need to know about Terrence McCauley until next month when he's on the program. Uh, And you can learn uh, quite a bit more. He's very well-spoken, very thoughtful man uh, when it comes to uh, the ideas that he's trying to put across. And I think you'll really enjoy the interview. Before that, though, uh, we do have several open-and-shut episodes. On February 20th, I'll be talking to Ed Amar. Ed's uh, new book, The Unrepentant, looks awesome. And he's going to talk about that. Uh, That'll be followed by... Uh, Larry Kelter on uh, 227, and uh, he will be talking about episode three of A grifter Song called The Whale. Uh, And then on the 6th of March, uh, we will talk with Joni M. Fisher, whose new book, West of Famous, features a very strong female protagonist. And then, of course, on uh, the 13th, we'll get our interview with Terrence McCauley. Like to say thanks to Lano for coming on the show. Uh, thanks to Down Out Books for sponsoring the show, to Jim Thompson and Dana King for doing a great job on recommendations. And as always, thank you if you're listening. There'd be no reason to do this. If you weren't listening, I could just call my friends and have a conversation and leave it at that. So thanks for coming on the line. We'll see you in a week. Until then, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime.